Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Our number, our temporary number, 866-505-4626. 866-505-4626. You've heard of the Defense Production Act only because it's in the media the last 48, 72 hours. And Nancy Pelosi always wanted to trash the president, always wanted to say, you need to do more, you need to do more. Government needs to be bigger and stronger, more centralized, more ubiquitous. Is insisting that the president trigger... <laughs> Excuse me... <coughs> trigger this act now the fact is the president has signed it so if he needs to trigger it he will trigger it but I want you I want you to understand that there are three major sections to this law this law that was adopted in 1950 as a result of the Korean War ready the first section authorizes the president to require businesses to sign contracts or fulfill orders deemed necessary for national defense. Authorizes the president to require businesses to sign contracts or fulfill orders deemed necessary for national defense. The second section authorizes the president to establish mechanisms, orders, agencies, regulations, to allocate materials, services, and facilities to promote national defense. The third section authorizes the president to control the civilian economy so that scarce and or critical materials necessary to the national defense effort are available for defense needs. So the first one empowers the president to compel businesses to enter into contracts and fulfill orders as the government sees necessary. Again, the second to summarize authorizes the president to set up processes to allocate materials, redistribute them that are produced by the private sector as he sees fit. And the third one empowers the president to control the economy. So scarce or critical materials necessary to national defense are available for defense needs. Now, that's a lot of power, isn't it, Mr. Producer? That's a president who can control the private sector. That's a president who can control an industry or all industries. And put production requirements, contract requirements, distribution requirements in the hands of the federal government. And the federal government need only direct and order private companies, private businesses, individuals to do as it demands. 
Now, Nancy Pelosi and her ilk, her ilk in the media, her ilk in the Democrat Party, her ilk in academia, her ilk in Hollywood, have been accusing the president of being a dictator. I've talked about this many times, but I want to underscore it. They've accused the president of being a dictator. Yet the president is being urged by these very same people to use the Defense Production Act immediately. Nancy Pelosi put out a statement today and said, must do it now. Can't delay even a day. So do they want a dictator or they don't want a dictator? This is rather shocking. Don't you think? And the president has said, look, if I need to use it in certain aspects, I will. I want you to understand a few things. So this is very, very important. President Trump has enormous respect for the rule of law. He also has enormous respect for our constitutional system. He also has enormous respect for private property rights and private labor rights. In the hands of a Joe Biden or a Bernie Sanders, in the hands of a Nancy Pelosi or a Chuck Schumer, can you imagine what they'd be doing right now with the Defense Production Act? It's truly shocking. And they come under no criticism, Pelosi and the rest, none. From the people at the Constipated News Network, from MSLSD, from the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, and all the rest of them. All the hosts, all the op-ed writers, all the phony journalists, all the editorialists, all the guests, all the contributors who've been accusing this president of being a dictator, it is they who are the dictators. It is they who are the autocrats. Nancy Pelosi goes on and on about our constitutional system. She literally wants the president of the United States to take over certain industries and to run them out of the White House. That should frighten each and every one of you. This is the same Nancy Pelosi who sought to use the first emergency bill to expand abortion, federal funding for abortion, and to put in place other hardcore left-wing agenda items cloaked as part of this emergency. She is a despot. I have said over and over again, Nancy Pelosi is fascistic. She is fascistic. She knows that there are going to be many more people who get this virus. She knows that there will be many more vulnerable people who will pass away. And so she positions herself and creates a narrative that Trump's not doing enough. And we'll get into that in a minute because many of you don't really know exactly what he's doing. And I want to inform you about that. Now, what exactly has Nancy Pelosi done about anything? Nothing. Or Chuck Schumer, nothing. This Defense Production Act is a very powerful law. Which presumes to give all this authority to a president. And Nancy Pelosi cannot wait to trigger it. She cannot wait to trigger it. 
the Speaker of the House, the number three in line for the presidency, demands that the president use it immediately. Now, what would he do? Which companies would he take over? And why would the federal government do it better than the companies themselves? We talked last night about these hospital beds. 36 out of 50 states and the District of Columbia have these con laws, these certification laws. You want to build a hospital in their states? You want to expand a hospital in their states? You want to add additional beds to the hospitals that are in existence? You want to acquire MRIs and CTs and other uh, mechanisms and uh, devices? Need approval from your state government. The first state to pass this law was New York in the 1960s. The governor with the biggest mouth is Andrew Cuomo. Complaining that we don't have national decisions when it comes to hospital beds. When he has it within his own power to allow private and public hospitals to expand immediately. But he turns to the federal government. He says the president needs to nationalize this issue and tell me, Governor Cuomo, that I need more beds in New York. Well, I'll tell you that, Cuomo. You need more beds in New York. Go ahead and do it. Why don't you rescind your stupid law that's been in place over half a century? You're the governor. You're in a one-party state because he doesn't want the responsibility. That's why. When you have a hospital bed, A hospital bed in and of itself isn't enough. You need equipment. Perhaps ventilators, particularly in the ICU unit. We had a great caller here last night. He pointed out something else. It's obvious now that we think about it. You need doctors and nurses to go with all these hospital beds. So I did a little bit more checking. Actually, my wife did. And you should know. That your United States, excuse me, your United States Congress has tied Medicare funding to the number of medical students, to the number of medical students who can go on to be doctors. In other words, and Medicare funding really controls the whole thing because it's so enormous as a percentage of uh, medical expenditures. In other words, the federal government directly and indirectly controls how many doctors there are going to be. The states control how many beds are going to be in the vast majority of the states. So Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, who have been around forever, supported this law. Certainly didn't suppo- uh, support its repeal. That, in essence, bottom line, limits the number of doctors that we can put into our communities. So Congress limits the number of doctors we can put in our communities. 36 states in the District of Columbia limit the number of hospital beds we have. And they all yell at the president. And then Pelosi turns around, rather than repealing this idiotic limitation on the number of doctors we can have, and many of these states, rather than repealing this idiot con law that they have, this certification and notice law, You have these liberal Democrats. Why won't he trigger the Defense Production Act? The Defense Production Act. The same people who think when the president's about to sign a bill for a trillion dollars, or maybe he signed it already, 
that that's not enough. It's not enough. We got to spend more. These people will destroy this country. They will destroy this country as quickly as a foreign enemy. These people are a virus. Their attitudes, their positions are a virus. An economic, political, and liberty virus. They're going to destroy our economic system if they have their way. They're going to destroy our private sector if they have our way. And they don't give a damn about the Constitution. They will fundamentally alter this nation. That's not the purpose of the Defense Protection Act or any of these other laws. You should be extremely happy, thrilled, celebratory that Donald Trump is president of the United States because he instinctively knows that these are enormous powers and they need to be exercised prudentially, carefully, thoughtfully. It is his opponents who don't have the temperament or sobriety to run anything. To run anything. And while I'm on that subject, I have a question. Has Joe Biden offered any help whatsoever? Now you might say, what help can Joe Biden offer? It doesn't matter. He'll be the Democrat nominee for president now. There's, there's, there's no way around it. Has Joe Biden actually said to the president of the United States, I, I can offer you help. You know, I have 412 years of experience in the Senate and vice presidency and so forth. No, he hasn't. And what's he going to do? Say, the Defense Production Act? Isn't it amazing how the media don't jump all over this? Don't jump all over Pelosi and the other Democrats who are demanding the president trigger this immediately and as quickly as possible in every respect? The president signed it into law, so it's available to him. But he's saying, I'll use it if I need it, when I need it, where I need it. And what's going to happen is, as this thing spreads, and it will... The Democrats are going to keep pushing this, and they're going to be pushing for more federal spending, more redistribution of wealth, slipping in more abortion laws and everything else as we go along. They see this as an opportunity. They are diabolical, and they are vile. That's right, I said it. I'll be right back. Lovin. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning, but what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arnn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. By the way, this Sunday on Life, Liberty, and Levin, we have a tremendous program, two guests. First half of the program, Vice President Mike Pence. Second half of the program, Dr. Anthony Fauci. 
But this program, like any, unlike any other program, will spend a lot of time with both the guests and dig very deeply, substantively into what's going on. And I try to ask questions of the sort that you ask me here. So this will be a very, very important program this Sunday. You'll want to mark it. If you can't watch it live, maybe DVR it, as we say, 8 p.m. Eastern, Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox. Let's look at some of the things the president has done without using dictatorial powers. He took action to give HHS the authority to waive certain rules and regulations to provide flexibility to health care providers in response to the coronavirus emergency. This is right on their site. He signed legislation removing restrictions preventing manufacturers from selling industrial masks, which can readily protect health care workers directly to hospitals. FDA was empower, had empowered certain qualified labs to use validated coronavirus tests while their emergency use authorization requests were under review. FDA took action to empower states to authorize tests developed and used within their borders. CMS removed restrictions on telehealth for Medicare patients, dramatically expanding access across the country. Thank God for the Internet, by the way. I'll get more on that later. HHS lifted HIPAA penalties to enable health care providers to expand telehealth for their patients. Department of Education given broad approval to colleges and universities to allow more easily move their classes online. USDA waived certain requirements to allow children to continue receiving meals during school closures. SBA relaxed criteria for disaster assistance loans, greatly expanding small business access to economic, for economic assistance. There's more. As I get to it here, again, it's on their site. The media can just look at it. They're very lazy, the media. All they do is look at it, but they're not going to. President announced the U.S. and Canada mutually agreed to close the northern border to non-essential travel. President announced he's invoking the Defense Production Act, although, as you can see, he hasn't been using it in in any ways yet. Department of Housing and Urban Development is halting foreclosures and evictions for family with FHA insured mortgages. Department of Labor announced up to $100 million in dislocated worker grants in response to the virus national health emergency. White House worked with the private sector to launch a central website where families, students, and educators can access online education technologies. President launched a partnership with the Ad Council, media networks, digital platforms to communicate public service announcements about the virus. The Navy will be deploying two medical ships to help support impacted areas. You know, there's a lot more here, and I want to get into it with you. So you know that the president is really doing everything he can. He's been very flexible, and as he sees other opportunities, he uses them, while being very mindful of our constitutional system and the private sector. I'll be right back. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning, but what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. 
Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. By the way, before I go on, I'm going to be looking for the closest location to my home to give blood tomorrow. I'm not kidding. I hope you will, too. There is a dire shortage of blood. So you might say, well, we're told to hunker uh, hunker down. We're hunkering down. You can give blood and go home again. That's precisely what I intend to do. In the morning. So if you in this audience are healthy, you don't have any issues uh, that would make giving blood dangerous or impossible, then don't. But if you don't have any of those issues, then please do. Then please do. Because our fellow Americans need your help. Now we're getting pictures out there of all the toilet paper stuff and so forth and so on. That's not us. That's a small percentage of our fellow Americans who are being very selfish and piggish. And preposterous. And you should look at them. If somebody takes more than one package of toilet paper, whatever it is, 12 count, 16 count, 2 count, 4 count, but you see them putting it in their carts and putting it under their arms, two, three, four packages, you should shame them. I don't mean confront them, but shame them. It's ridiculous. They're creating shortages where no shortages need to be created. And that's not us. That's not Americans. So instead, what I would suggest is tomorrow you find out where you can get blood. And give blood. Many of you are home. Many of you are not in your offices or schools or wherever you are. Many of you are home. Now's the time to do it. In my opinion. We will be doing it. I will be doing it. And I want to strongly encourage you to do it. Let's see a huge spike as a result of this show of Levinites giving blood tomorrow. A huge spike. Can we do that? The FDA says it's perfectly safe. You're not going to catch anything. And so I'm all in. I hope you are too. Now what else did the president do? He's done a lot. He signed that legislation securing $8.3 billion for coronavirus response. He declared a national emergency inviting states, territories, and tribes to access over $42 billion in existing funds. To leverage the resources of the entire government, the president created the White House Coronavirus Task Force to coordinate the response. Brilliant. And having a wonderful vice president in charge of it. The vice president named Dr. Deborah Birx, B-I-R-X. You've seen this lady. She's enormously impressive. To serve as the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator. In January, while the Senate was trying to remove the president, while they were fighting over witnesses like John Bolton, The president reacted quickly to implement travel restrictions on travel from China, buying us valuable time to respond to the virus. And Dr. Anthony Fauci has said that was very critical. And remember, most of the networks were accusing him directly or implying that the president was racist. Sick. These sick, good-for-nothing, do-nothing fools. The president has announced further travel restrictions on global hotspots. When he saw that the EU was not acting effectively, well, 
He put in travel restrictions for Europe. Then later, the United Kingdom and Ireland, and of course, Iran. And American citizens returning from travel-restricted countries are being routed to specific airports where they can be screened and isolated as necessary. The administration raised travel warnings to their highest level for other hotspot locations, like Japan and South Korea. The president has expanded airport screenings to identify travelers showing symptoms and instituted mandatory quarantines. On this mandatory quarantine issue, that's the first time in over half a century. The president announced this mutually agreed closing the northern border to non-essential travel with Canada and the U.S. Now look at this. The, with, with respect to our bureaucracy, the president really has it rolling now. The FDA issued emergency approval for new commercial coronavirus tests to, signif- to significantly expand testing across the country. He secured legislation that will ensure Americans are able to be tested for free. The administration's working with state and local partners in the private sector to open up drive through testing sites, which have just started. The administration is working with the private sector to develop a website that Americans can utilize to determine whether they need a test and if so, where to get it. I'm going to talk more about this a little bit later. This, is, this requires our attention. There's a company that has developed the test. It's going to be out Monday. I'm getting ahead of myself. I, 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 want, to, I want to circle back on this. HHS is providing funding to help accelerate the development of rapid diagnostic tests for the coronavirus. The FBA cut red tape to expand testing availability. The administration is working to provide states with flexibility to approve coronavirus testing laboratories. The Assistant Secretary for Health has been appointed to coordinate coronavirus testing efforts. And the FDA is empowering states to authorize tests developed and used by labs in their states. In other words, more freedom, less regulations, more ability to operate than really ever before. You'll notice we're cutting red tape, not creating more government in this respect anyway. The Small Business Administration has announced disaster loans, which provide impacted businesses with up to $2 million. Presidents met with bank executives, insurers, pharmaceutical executives, and other industry leaders. Hotels, airlines, construction. The president directed the Energy Department to purchase large quantities of crude oil for the strategic reserve, given the price of oil has plummeted. The president has held calls and meetings with business leaders from pharmaceutical industry, airlines, health insurance, grocery stores, retail stores, banks, and more. The president's been talking to the governors, as you saw today, and his people constantly. The administration negotiated legislation which will provide tax credits for eligible businesses that give paid leave to Americans affected by the virus. It took action to provide more flexibility in unemployment insurance programs for workers impacted by the coronavirus. The president has directed the Department of Education to waive interest on student loans held by the federal government. The Treasury Department is deferring tax payments for certain impacted individuals and businesses. The president has called on Congress to pass a payroll tax cut. The USDA announced new flexibilities to allow meal service during school closures. The USDA announced a new collaboration with the private sector to deliver nearly one million meals a week to students in rural schools closed due to the coronavirus. Did you know 90% of this? 
The Department of Housing and Urban Development, as I said earlier, is halting foreclosures and evictions for families with FHA-insured mortgages. The Department of Labor announced up to $100 million in dislocated worker grants in response to the virus. And the White House worked with the private sector to launch a central website where families, students, and educators can access online education technologies. So you parents with kids at home, you might want to check out that site. And your states and localities have been working on sites, too. Many of them have them in place. Now, the administration launched a website, if you want to check it out, coronavirus.gov, to keep the public informed about the outbreak, coronavirus.gov. Let's go ahead and post that on my social sites, Mr. Producer. The president announced guidelines for Americans to follow and do their part to stem the spread of the virus. The task force is holding daily press conferences and meetings to provide the American people with the latest information. The task force has recommended mitigation strategies to heavily impacted communities, like those in New York, Washington State, and California. About 60% of the cases are in those three states. And most of the cases in those three states are in a handful of counties. And so the administration's really focusing on these counties. I mean the whole country, but really these counties to try and put laser-focused effort to contain it. The CMS announced guidance to protect vulnerable elderly Americans and limit medically unnecessary visits to nursing homes. In January, the administration declared the coronavirus to be a public health emergency. By the way, the president donated his fourth quarter salary to the Department of Health and Human Services to deal with this virus. Are you aware of this? You know, if any other president did this, they'd be... uh, Mentioning this. They don't even mention it with him. Did Obama ever donate his salary to anything? Well, he wasn't a billionaire. Well, he's getting very close now. President took action to give HHS authority to waive rules and regs so that health care providers have maximum flexibility to respond to the outbreak. CMS is giving flexibility to Medicare Advantage and Part D plans to waive cost sharing for coronavirus tests and treatment. CMS created new billing codes for coronavirus tests to promote better tracking of the public health response. Now, look at how much is being done. It's enormous. The administration announced that health plans with health savings accounts will be able to cover coronavirus testing and treatment without copayments. CMS dramatically expanded telehealth for Medicare beneficiaries, ensuring more patients can access their doctors remotely while avoiding exposure. By the way, You know how people have been trashing and trashing and trashing the Internet? Where yours truly has been saying, thank God for the Internet? Well, thank God for the Internet because 10 years ago, ordering things over the Internet, food, medicines, uh, hand sanitizers, masks, you name it, would have been impossible. And so... Telling people to stay at home and not gather in groups larger than 10 would have been unbearable 10 years ago. Today it's bearable because of the Internet. Because things can be brought to your door by these heroic delivery people. American technology like nothing else. And now we have telehealth or telemedicine which is absolutely crucial. It is, it is an, a breaking 
ability and service. So you can have doctors remotely giving advice or approving prescriptions. The Veterans Administration established 19 emergency operations centers across the country and put in place visitation restrictions to limit patients' exposure. CMS and the VA are working to limit non-essential elective medical procedures to free up health care resources. The Navy, as we pointed out, will be deploying two medical ships to help support impacted areas. The president signed a memorandum directing his administration to make general-use face masks available to health care workers. And they made, well, big deal. Well, it is a big deal. Because now a lot of these developers and construction companies, extremely patriotic, You've seen these, these men and women in construction wearing these masks. Well, those masks couldn't be used in health facilities. Well, now they can. And as a matter of fact, you have developers and builders donating millions and millions of these masks to medical facilities. America is a great place. If you stop listening to the media, stop listening to Pelosi, stop listening to Schumer... HHS announced it will be purchasing 500 million N95 respirators for the strategic national stockpile. The Department of Defense announced it will be providing 5 million respirator masks and 2,000 specialized ventilators to assist. Ventilators are complicated equipment. You can't just snap your fingers and they're manufactured overnight. And the truth is, this is a state responsibility. The beds, the MRIs, the CTs, hospital construction. These are the responsibilities of governors and state legislatures. Just so you know. The administration is working to help accelerate the development of therapeutics and a vaccine to combat the disease. This is really, there's some very exciting progress on the therapeutics we'll talk about later. We talked about one of them the other night, first one on national broadcasting to do so the chloroquine, and the president talked about that today, and they're going to make that available as fast as they can, almost immediately, because it's already approved for other uh, treatments, like uh, uh, different types of, uh, of illnesses, malaria and so forth. And so now it will be available. The Trump administration is working with drug manufacturers to monitor any potential drug supply chain issues. The administration is expanding research and consulting with experts to better understand the transmission of the coronavirus. National Institutes of Health has announced the beginning of a clinical trial, as you know, for a coronavirus vaccine candidate. This government has never moved so fast. It's never moved so fast. It's never moved so efficiently and effectively. I've never seen anything like this. In the White House, the administration, the president... They're having to deal with these gaps in the healthcare system. And I don't mean gaps because everything's not centralized and nationalized. But quite frankly, in many cases, poor decisions in the states. It is amazing to hear Cuomo go on and on and on about hospital beds when his state was the first state to pass a law to limit hospital beds. Well, what's he done about it? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. 
We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale college student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. I'm, I'm watching these shows bring on these psychiatrists and psychologists, Mr. Producer. How do you cope with uh, confinement? We have more access today from our homes, from our desks, to the world than we ever have. We have television, we have radio, we have the internet. We've got video games, regular games. You have, quite frankly, talk radio. You've got more things you can do from your home. And so now we're talking about the emotional toll of coping with confinement and isolation. Ladies and gentlemen, we're Americans. We're stronger than this, aren't we? This just started. I know I'm the only one saying this, but it's like unemployment. As a result of this virus, nobody's been unemployed more than a week or two. I can remember the Great Depression, uh, excuse me, the Great Recession. It was great during the early part of the Reagan administration, which he inherited from Jimmy Carter. People were unemployed, literally, for half a year, a year, a year and a half. Now, we've got to be smarter and stronger than this. We've got unemployment programs. We have food stamp programs. President is putting a number of relief programs. I don't believe in all this, as Ben Sass put it, all this helicopter spending. This spending, if we're going to do it, has to be very targeted and very limited. We talked about this chloroquine drug that's used for malaria several days ago. And I brought it to your attention because nobody else was talking about it. And there's one little article I saw about it. Hey, this is a a drug that's used to treat malaria. It's also a drug that's used to treat rheumatoid arthritis, uh, ulcerative colitis, all kinds of of diseases. And apparently in a small working setting, it's been 100% effective. And there are other drugs out there that they're working on, too. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Oops, wrong number. Temporary number, 866-505-4626. Pavlov's dog here. 866-505-4626. I'm going to read something to you. The genius of America. Like no other country. Something Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the media simply do not comprehend. They don't get it. The first company has announced an upcoming home virus test. Wuhan virus test. Everly well. E-V-E-R-L-Y well. One word. Everly well. A home testing company that offers dozens of lab tests to consumers is adding, they call it the COVID-19 test beginning on March 23. March 23 is next Monday. Given the slow rollout of testing in the U.S., and there's a slow rollout of testing because nobody knew this, what this was. After initially limiting testing to one provided by the Centers for Disease Control and uh, conducted at state and local public health labs, the FDA allowed certified labs, this is due to the president, breaking through these regulations, including commercial lab testing companies to develop and distribute virus tests. The Austin-based Everly Well offers a range of validated tests for everything from cholesterol levels to fertility and infectious diseases like STDs. Now, I want you to listen to how this works. Don't jump the gun here. Just listen to how this works. People can order the Everly Well virus test, the Wuhan virus test, on the company's website. After first answering questions about their basic health, symptoms, and risk factors for the coronavirus disease. The reason is, ladies and gentlemen, everybody just says, I want to know if I have it, I want to test. You'll kill the system. It's like going in, everybody wanting to know if they have cancer, everybody wanting to know if they have heart disease, everybody. You just don't normally conduct yourself that way. So they're looking for certain factors. A doctor still needs to prescribe the test. So telemedicine doctors from PWN Health, a national network of physicians who prescribe diagnostic tests, then reviews your answers to determine if you qualify for testing based on criteria established for the center, by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. You follow me, Mr. Producer? Currently, because the virus tests are not plentiful in the U.S., doctors are trying to rule out other respiratory diseases like flu first, and only ordering tests for people with symptoms who also have other risk factors for infection, such as being in close contact with others who've been diagnosed. If the telemedicine doctor decides to prescribe an Everly Well virus test for the Wuhan virus. The company says it'll send, listen to this, the $135 test kit in two days. Customers pay $30 to receive the kit for two days over, overnight. The kit comes with a special swab that is long enough to take samples from the back of the nose and throat area, along with instructions for how to seal the swab sample to send it back to the company. People can also provide spit and other samples as backups. 
The sample is sent to a prepaid is sent in a prepaid overnight package and processed at one of the several labs approved by the FDA to perform the test around the country within 72 hours. As with many of the commercially available tests, this one extracts SARS, CoV-2, the virus behind COVID-19 from this sample, and then probes for specific genetic signatures of the virus. Company says it will then send results by text and email, and doctors may advise people to self-isolate until they receive them. If the test is positive, the company also provides a full telemedicine consultation with one of around 200 physicians that is included in the cost of the test, 135 bucks. That physician also reports the result is a positive case to the appropriate state health departments, as is required by health authorities. Everly Well says it's ready to ship 30,000 of these tests and plans to expand the number of labs processing the samples. But the CEO and founder, Julia Cheek, says that scaling up the number of test kits will depend on the availability of swabs for collecting samples. Anyway, look at this. Let's, let's unravel this, because this is important. You have a test. You go on this company's website. You answer a questionnaire. That questionnaire, that information will determine the extent to which a medical doctor believes that you should get a test. You don't have to go anywhere. You're sitting at your table, at your desk, at your kitchen table, in your base, wherever. So the doctor then determines if you get a prescription to be tested, and if so, he or she issues the prescription. Then for $135, the test is sent to you. You do the test, which is relatively simple, and then there is a return envelope and process package that's already addressed. You send it back, and within... Three days of getting the result, the information. There are special labs following the federal government standards can determine whether or not you have the virus. And you never left your home. Because of American ingenuity and inventiveness and creativity, the internet, telemedicine, a company that develops this test, Special labs. Is this not remarkable, America? Within six weeks, really six weeks, of this virus beginning to appear in the United States. The testing is being developed. It's being made as easy as possible for as many people as possible. You've got Drugs that are being developed, therapies, and of course, smartly, and this is the way many, many companies function. They're trying to use existing drugs to see if they can be applied to this virus. Rather than reinventing the wheel or adjusting or modifying a particular drug to see if it can be applied to this virus as a therapy. Because the vaccination process that is to prevent you from getting it in the first place, is much more complicated. And yet we've already started trials on that. 
the ingenuity of the private sector, the demands of the President of the United States to get rid of the red tape, Americanism, patriotism, federalism, things being tried at state, local, federal levels, capitalism and free markets, things being tried by one company after another after another. This is why you don't centralize all these decisions. Because somebody might make the wrong decision or go down the wrong path. Okay, fine, that's company A. But we have company B and C and D and a hundred others. And they're working perhaps with each other, perhaps with companies overseas, perhaps not. But look at this test that's available on Monday. Monday. Well, Mark, it's only 30,000. What amazes me and disgusts me, quite frankly, and really is frustrating to me, is people who do nothing and know nothing, like politicians, keep telling us what should be, what should have been, as if they're mere observers. Nancy Pelosi's been around for 500 years. So is Chuck Schumer. They have no idea what's going on in the private sector. They have no idea what's going on. Period. If you had asked Nancy Pelosi to tell you five, six, eight, ten things that this administration has done, she wouldn't even be able to tell you. All she knows is we need dictatorial powers and they need to be instituted immediately by a president who she claims of being a dictator. I'm telling you there's reason for hope. Not as Pollyannas, not to be foolish. You know, try and follow the guidelines they're giving us. They make sense. I don't agree with some of the socialist aspects of these spending activities pushed by the Democrats and some Republicans. I just don't, and Mnuchin over their treasury. But I do feel much better that Donald Trump is president Because unlike a hardcore left-wing Democrat, which Joe Biden is, by the way, he is now, Trump has shown an affinity for prudence, an affinity for the rule of law, a respect for our constitutional system, whereas the left could give a damn. But just as I made you aware of the chloroquine, which is very exciting, and it's not the only drug out there that they're working on, not working on, about to put into into use. Here's one company. It's not even that big of a company. It's the first company in the United States that has an upcoming home testing kit. Home testing kit. Think about that. It's incredible. And with a home testing kit, you don't only don't have to go to emergency room, the emergency rooms can focus on other things. This is absolute genius. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Now, of course, the American media in this country doesn't disappoint. It disappoints Americans, but it doesn't disappoint the communist Chinese. As it continues to defend that regime and attack our constitutional republic and our president. At the presser today, the pre- you know, by the way, these press events with the president, the vice president, all their experts are extremely impressive. I can't remember another administration, another president who does this. And the president's grasp of these issues is remarkable. I say to somebody with a relatively high IQ, his grasp of these issues is remarkable. I mean, I, I, I think to myself, can you imagine Joe Biden up there? Joe Biden, you know, he'd be asking what day it is, what time it is, what state he's in, uh, and on and on and on. It'd be, it'd be an embarrassment. Joe Biden's handlers are trying to limit his, his comments to seven minutes. The president's standing up there for 90 minutes. But my point is, our media have really let us down. And they've exposed themselves now more than ever. Because the American people are relying on information so they can make decisions. And while the president and the administration and our governors and mayors and our county commissioners and school superintendents and school boards and everybody else is trying to communicate with us, give us information, allow us to digest it, make decisions and conduct ourselves in certain ways, the media come between us and them and they cannot give up the politics. This has to be the lowest point in American media, and whether it's yellow journalism period or the party press period or whatever you want to say, this has to be, as an aggregate, as a group, the lowest point in the history of journalism. And I'll prove it to you. Here's Kristen Welker, whomever that is, at the White House today. Cut one, go. You did say a few days ago, though, you did have a sense that this was a pandemic that was coming. So why was the United States not prepared with more testing? We were very prepared. Uh, The only thing we weren't prepared for was the... uh the media. The media has not treated it fairly. I'll tell you how prepared it was. Uh, I called for a ban from people coming in from China long before anybody thought it was. In fact, it was your network. I believe they called me a racist because NBC. I did that. Uh, it was many of the people in the room. They called me racist and other words uh, because I did that, because I went so early. So when you say we weren't prepared, had I let these tens of thousands of people come in from China a day, we would have had something right now that would have been, uh, you wouldn't have even recognized it compared to where we are. How many people have passed away? How many people have died as of this moment? You could multiply that by a factor of many, many, many. So when you say that I wasn't prepared, I was the first one to do the ban. Now other countries are following what I did. But the media doesn't acknowledge that. They they know it's true. They know it's true, but they don't want to write about it. 
And it is true. And they don't want to write about it. Instead, this is what they want to talk about. Cut to go. Do you consider the term Chinese food racist because no. it's food that originates in China or it has Chinese No, I don't think it's racist. I don't think it's racist at all. On that note, major left-wing news media, even in this room, have teamed up with Chinese Communist Party narratives, and they're claiming you're racist for making... By the way, let's stop here. This first came up on my show last Sunday. You might remember this, Mr. Producer. When I was interviewing Michael Pillsbury, and we were talking about this and highlighting this issue about the Chinese propaganda effort and accusing the United States military of being the source the Wuhan China virus. You might recall this, ladies and gentlemen. It's very important. Look, I try to do my research. I try to get the information. I try to present it to you, whether it is on this program, Levin TV, in my books, and on my Fox show. And I like it when the others follow, when the others pick it up, because this is important information. Important information. Go ahead. Things about Chinese virus. Is it alarming that major media players just to oppose you are consistently siding with foreign state propaganda, Islamic radicals, and Latin gangs and cartels? And now, this right- this young lady is from OAN, which is an excellent network. It doesn't have a huge audience, but it's an excellent cable network, as for, uh, satellite network, I guess, as far as I'm concerned. One American News. Go ahead. At the White House with direct access to you and your team. It amazes me when I read the things that I read. It amazes me when I read the Wall Street Journal, which is always so negative. Uh, it amazes me when I read the New York Times. Is not even, I don't, I barely read it. You know, we don't distribute it in the White House anymore. And the same thing with the Washington Post. Uh, because, you see, I know the truth. And people out there in the world, they really don't know the truth. They don't know what it is. Uh, they use different slogans and different concepts for me almost every week, trying to catch something. More. Cut three. Go. Siding with state propaganda. Well, I think they do. I mean, I mean, they are siding with they are siding with China. They are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. They're siding with many others. China is the least of it. So why why they're doing this? uh, You'll have to ask them. But if we had an honest media in this country, our country would be an even greater place. Of course, he's exactly right, which is why I wrote an entire book on this. But this president has blazed a lot of trails, and one of the trails he's blazed is the exposure of the media for being a Democrat Party press operation, wittingly and unwittingly, advancing the radical progressive agenda. And anything that gets in their way, they seek to destroy and character assassinate. There's a reason why almost every reporter, not all, but almost every reporter sounds like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. All right. 
These are very weird times, aren't they? You see, I may have questions about what takes place, but I'm not out to sabotage the administration or anything of the sort. Why would I do that? Quite the contrary. I'm not out to sabotage anything, but I do ask questions. There's a great piece in Issues and Insights. A lot of the writers there, former writers for Investors Business Daily, some of the great editorial writers there. And they point out, with much of the U.S. economy shut down to deal with the Wuhan coronavirus outbreak, now you know right away that they're honest people by calling it what it is. Congress is putting together a $1 trillion stimulus package to prevent an economic meltdown, the third major bill to address the virus pandemic. It's a huge amount of money, but a question does loom. How much of it will actually help the struggling economy? How much of it will just be politically motivated pork? See, this is what always happens. Congress is moving on the measure, the, excuse me, on the massive stimulus, fresh off passing a multi-billion dollar aid package on Wednesday that provides paid sick and family leave for working Americans, free coronavirus testing, and expanded unemployment insurance. Nebraska Senator Ben Sass says right now the plan around here is basically just to start shoveling money out of a helicopter. And the most important debate is whether Democrats or Republicans get to shovel the money first. Sass has been very good on this. Sass isn't just talking. He's one of eight Republicans who voted against Wednesday's package. The second in as many weeks. He's worried. And so are we that the emergency stimulus, so-called, will be used is a goodie bag for handing out treats to favorite interest groups. Now, the fears of Sass and at least seven other GOP senators aren't unfounded. Before passing the second bill Wednesday, Democrats tried to force through a number of costly additions that had little to do with coronavirus, and they wanted to make them permanent. They might sound nice, but forcing small and medium-sized businesses to foot the bill for expensive paid family leave and increased paid sick leave would bankrupt thousands of small businesses, which often have just a few workers and operate on the slimmest of margins. Fortunately, Republican negotiators got the permanent part removed. The permanent part, but it's still in there. Then there were proposed OSHA regulations that would have hit businesses with expensive new mandates that would do little or nothing to mitigate the current virus pandemic. Worse, Democrats wanted to use Social Security, hello, Social Security, to fund emergency employment aid, setting a horrible precedent of raiding the already bankrupt Social Security Trust Fund, which has an estimated $34 trillion, that's trillion with a T, long-term funding deficit. If you're over 65 or a Social Security recipient, you should understand This rate on Social Security, ultimately, would make you less financially secure, not more. Now, by the way, why haven't these media organizations in these newsrooms reported this to you? They have charts for everything, but they don't put this on a chart. It's a simple chart. All the matters that Pelosi and the Democrats tried to slip into these bills. Nancy Pelosi and company also tried to expand the enhanced family and sick leave to include things that had nothing to do 
with the coronavirus at all, including domestic violence and stalking, to name just two. Now, those, of course, are problems, but no one wants to be addressed in an emergency funding bill of this scope and urgency. Finally, Democrats tried to sneak a provision that could have essentially gone around the Hyde Amendment. Makes it illegal for the federal government to fund abortions, except to save a mother's life or in case of rape or incest. They might not like the law, but it's the law. And none of this, of course, has anything to do with the coronavirus, the nasty virus that China sent our way. Spending money on political pork isn't stimulus. And the last time we looked, pork doesn't cure coronavirus. We would hope that the Democrats would understand the gravity of the current crisis and move quickly to address actual needs related to it. And yes, reasonable people can conclude that the sudden shutdown of our economy requires action by Congress. We're always wary of the word stimulus, however, ever since the Obama administration used an $800 billion package to stimulate the economy after the 08-09 financial crisis. The current bill is itself open to question. It would spend about half a trillion to give every adult $1,000. How long that's supposed to last is anyone's guess. Now, let me update you on that. It's worse than that. As Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, Liberal Democrat, says, there'll be two trances. Or trunches. That is, 1000 for an adult and 500 for a child. So he says, for example, a family of four, husband and wife, and two children, will get $3,000. Not once, but twice. Almost immediately, and then in May. $6,000. I reject this. I strongly reject this. We've got unemployment insurance in this country. And the employer and the employee, many of you, pay dearly for unemployment insurance. We have a massive food stamp program, tens of billions of dollars. We've got all kinds of medical assistance programs. We have gone broke in this country, trillions and trillions over years and years, funding these programs and more. I understand if the federal government is shutting down businesses... That there's some responsibility on the part of the federal government. I've talked about this. I said it's like a private company shutting down another company, not through competition or whatever. So the federal government's going to mandate the shutdown of an industry or a company. There needs to be some kind of recompense. But handing out thousands and thousands of dollars to individuals and families... We haven't had, I mean, as I said, we've had recessions in this country during my lifetime that went on a long time. We had people who were out of work for months and months and months at a time. We're not even talking about that. A friend of mine, I'm not going to tell you who it is, you would know who it is. You'll guess, but you could be wrong. Said, look, I know a friend, he's a waiter. He only has three days worth of money, says Mr. Producer. You hear me? Three days. I thought to myself, three days worth of money. And so you and I, the American people, 
We're going to protect that individual who has three days worth of money. I don't understand. I understand some people are under underwater. I got that. But he has three days worth of money. And I said to my friend, well, I don't know anything about his lifestyle. I don't know anything about how he spent money, what what kind of car he has, what kind of place he rents or owns, if he takes vacations, if he has a... Nothing. So when you tell me this person has three days worth of money, that's all they have, I don't even know how to react. I don't even know what to say. You know, the funny thing is this, and I'll, I'll... repeat this again and maybe it's just my own experience maybe I'm biased my parents owned a small store for most of the time when we were teenagers and above and they went through a terrible recession in the 1970s and nobody came in the store nobody came in the store because they sold things that weren't you know life sustainable type things Furniture, porcelains, screens, that sort of thing. Small store. Modest, middle-class income. But these aren't things people had to have if you're in an economic pinch. And they had many months where it was extremely tight. Not once did I hear them say that the federal government should bail them out. Not once did I hear them say, this isn't fair. They made us tighten our belts. They did other things for income. I know they were stressed. It's just the way it was back then. With that generation. And we've got all kinds of programs today. and We've spent trillions of dollars on them running up massive debt. And you'd think we have nothing. Now, if somebody says they only have three days' worth of income, and please don't call me. I'm, I'm not interested in, in doing a census review of every individual in the country. i got to know more. Like, how old are you, and how did, this, how did this happen? Are you single? Do you have a family? What are your expenses and everything else? But, as Sass says, dropping money out of a helicopter, if you will, of this sort, this doesn't stimulate an economy. If it stimulates an economy, just think about it. Why not give everybody $100,000? Well, the problem is, where's it going to come from? It's going to come from somebody else, either future generations or you. That doesn't stimulate the economy, taking money from something that's productive and giving it to something that's not. My other fear is, how temporary will this really be? You heard me talk about Nancy Pelosi. She She wants the president to go full dictator. Not because she trusts them, but because she wants to destroy our economic system and turn our constitutional system on its head. So she's demanding that he do it for her, that he do it for the left. It's clear, at least now, he's not willing to do it. He's very careful about these things. And look how they try and slip these sleazy things into these bills. You small businessmen and women out there, you have restaurants and bars and other retail shops, you are suffering. I can see it when I, I drive around. She's trying to slip stuff into this bill. So when we eventually come out of this, you're going to suffer. You're going to go out of business. They'll slip it in here now during a crisis. So nobody talks about it. 
They don't talk. I don't know of any newsroom that's talked about this quite frankly. Any. They'll slip it in there, and then you'll wonder what the hell happened. But don't worry. You got a stimulus bill. You know, you'd pay off your IRS debt if you could, but you can't because you don't have the money. <laughs> Especially now. But tax time is here. Now you're asking this important question. Is this the day the IRS shows up at my work, garnishes my wages, seeks, seizes my bank accounts, knocks on the door, or maybe forces the door open? Let me suggest a way to end your IRS nightmare. Call Optima Tax Relief, America's most trusted tax resolution firm. They're experts in the Fresh Start Initiative, a powerful IRS program that could save you thousands if you qualify. In fact, Optima's resolved over $1 billion of tax debt for people just like you. Get the peace of mind that comes when you have Optima on your side, standing between you and the IRS, fighting to help stop aggressive collection actions, and helping to protect your assets. Don't wait. Put your IRS worries to rest. Call 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. Now's the time. Don't wait any longer. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Me, I would call their 800-499-6300 number immediately. I'll be right back. Mark in. product for those rich patches and blemishes, red patches and blemishes without the harsh side effects. Just listen to what Lisa from Athens, Georgia has to say. Been using Genesel RR and the redness on my face is gone. My skin is clearer and brighter. I'm so happy I started using this product. Thank you, Chamonix. Introducing the brand new Genesel Redness Repair. The ground baking cream is infused with a next-gen retinal effects to dramatically reduce the appearances of redness, hyperpigmentation, and blemishes. And the good news is it's effective, like retinol, but without any side effects. Click or call right now, and the Genesol Redness Repair is yours absolutely free, just for ordering the classic Genesol Plant Stem Cell Therapy for bags and puffiness. The number is 800-SKIN-604 or go to Genesol.com. 800-SKIN-604. With the Chamonix promise, you only have the redness, bags, and wrinkles to lose, or 100% of your money back. Yellow! That's a lot. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. Genesel.com, that's 800. What did I say? 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. Outstanding product. All right, Mr. Producer, is there a... Irregular American or a really regular American to whom I should speak, sir? WBAP country, Mike in Dallas. Go. Yeah, thanks for everything you do, Mark. I was calling about the uh, family leave. Uh, Basically, after 10 days of unpaid family leave, I have to pay employees two-thirds of their normal salary. Is that under state or federal law? That's federal law that was just passed that you were just talking about. So that's in the federal law right now? Yes. So I don't understand this. If, if, if small businesses in particular are struggling, 
Why would you put a mandate on them? Well, that's that's the point. Why don't they do something to help me? I was trying. I'm trying to keep my employees working. We're we have half the work that we normally do. You know what I do supports 20 to 25 families, and uh, I may not have a paycheck for a while. And I'm going to try to keep everybody as employed as they can. But with this, um, I have to decide by next week if I should let some people go because I can't afford to have someone stay home with their kids and be paid two thirds of uh, what I normally pay them because their kids are out of school. And that's also in the act. If your child is home from school and you don't, or your daycare is closed, the parent can stay home uh, and take paid family leave. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't dig that at all. Thank you, Mike. Let us go to Lou, L-U, a young lady, Ocala, Florida, the great WSKY. Go! Hey, Mark. Hello, Lou. Um, just, listening to your, just listening to your last um, caller with a small business, and I'm just, I'm just in shock about what the Republican Party is not fighting strongly against these pork barrel bills that are going through. Mm-hmm. I agree I just, with you. I, I just have, I have a real worry about the party. They'll go on and on about socialist Biden, socialist Sanders, and then listen to the last gentleman who called. These guys are struggling. These gals are struggling, and they put a new mandate on them. But don't worry, it's temporary, Lou. Nothing's temporary in the federal government, is it? No, no. And, and they want to build it and build it and build it. And if we don't stop it, and Trump is the only one. I mean, yes, there are some good fighters in Congress and some good fighters in the Problem Senate, is the Treasury I'll... Secretary, this Mnuchin, is, uh, is the one giving most of the advice on this stuff. He's, He's a, a liberal Democrat. Right. It's like Ray and the FBI. I mean, it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. And I'm, uh, like I said, I'm worried because we don't have the fighters like Trump. And he's got to get in. But if we don't take back the House, he's going to have four... See, I'm worried that Mnuchin is more concerned about protecting Wall Street. Uh, And Wall Street has to fend for it. I mean, uh, we can't keep bailing out Wall Street with TARP and these other things. All right, Lou. I appreciate your call. Man, we have a lot more to go and only an hour to do it. I hope you'll stick with us, all you Levinites. Where are you going to go? What else are you going to do? I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811-877. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, don't call that number tell you, it's, it's so ingrained. I've had that number since day one. All right, 866-505-4626. Sorry. This is our temporary number. It'll change back. 866-505-4626. Yes, uh, the chloroquine. 
That's why you listen to this program. It's a common malaria drug, but it's also used for other illnesses, rheumatoid arthritis, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, other things. And um, we brought that up to you several days ago as a very promising drug. I had no idea that the administration was actually focused on it, but it was one small article that I had found that day. Uh, Actually, I think my wife found that and sent it to me. But it was one one article in a, I don't know, a website I don't normally use either. I forget which website, too. And it was picked up by cable TV and and so forth. But apparently the administration's been working on it, the FDA. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, Tom Cotton out there is doing yeoman's work on the China issue, as he always does. Uh, I don't always agree with all the spending ideas that all these senators have, that's for sure. It concerns me enormously. But that aside, he's been right on about China for a very, very long time, as has the president. And he is introducing or has introduced a bill to strongly discourage our pharmaceutical companies from continuing to invest in China and instead encourage them to invest in the United States. Not with a heavy hammer, but with incentives. And we're going to have a guest at the bottom of the hour, a congressman who's been all over this issue and more when it comes to China. His name is Ted Yoho of, of Florida. And he's very, very good at this. And we're going to want to talk to him about this. Rare rare earth metals and pharmaceuticals. And they need to decouple our reliance on China's manufacturing because China's threatening us now. Guy Taylor writing uh, in the Washington Times today, as the war words between China and the U.S., over the COVID-19 heats up, I guess that's the part of the Washington Times called the COVID-19, but I'm not calling it that. It's either the vi- virus, the China Chinese virus, or the Wuhan virus. That's accurate. WHO put out COVID-19. I don't know. Chinese state media have raised the specter of using Beijing's pharmaceutical leverage to block critical components and supplies for dependent U.S. drug companies and send America into, quote, the hell of a novel coronavirus epidemic, unquote. While India and several European nations play critical roles in the global medical supply chain, China is among the top providers of active pharmaceutical ingredients, or they call them APIs, the basic components for antibiotics and other prescription drugs consumed by Americans. With the coronavirus crisis threatening to strain the U.S. government's largest stockpile of such drugs, health experts warn China's own outbreak and related societal shutdown could mean major shortages ahead as Chinese factories struggle to keep up production of the APIs. The Trump administration and lawmakers from both parties are now calling for a dramatic revamping of domestic U.S. drug manufacturing operations that have been outsourced to China and a handful of other nations over the past 20 years. The Pharma Letter, an online news site covering the pharmaceutical and biotech industries, offered some stark numbers on U.S. dependence on Chinese producers. China, quote, accounted for 95% of U.S. imports of ibuprofen, 91% of U.S. imports of hydrocortisone, 
That's a big deal. 70% of U.S. imports of, uh, let's see, oh, acetaminophen. 40% to 45% of U.S. imports of penicillin. 40% of U.S. imports of heparin. Of heparin. I can read with one eye. Really, I can. According to Commerce Department data, in all, 80% of the U.S. supply of antibiotics are made in China. Now, ladies and gentlemen, China is an enemy. It is a communist regime. It is doing everything it can to harm our country without straight-out war. Those of you who are, on, who are on drugs, and that's most of you, one form or another, some pharmaceuticals, should be very concerned about this. Even without a conscious boycott policy by the Beijing government, the disruption of Chinese domestic production caused by the pandemic is straining the global system. So there are moves afoot to discourage this and to strongly encourage investment in our country. And we'll talk to one of the leading uh, thinkers and activists on this in Congress, Representative Ted Yoho of Florida, at the bottom of the hour. That's the plan. And uh, I think, this, again, this is important, and we want to be in front of the curve on this stuff. But that's even more than that. Here's another piece in the Washington Times by Bill Gertz. China has called for using electromagnetic attacks on U.S. warships, <clears throat> excuse me, transiting the South China Sea, according to a state-run Chinese outlet. The Communist Party-affiliated organ Global Times, quoting a military expert, said the use of non-lethal electromagnetic and laser weapons should be used by the People's Liberation Army to expel American warships from the disputed sea. Now, this is the South China Sea, which really isn't disputed at all. The Chinese claim it's theirs with no basis whatsoever. And over $5 trillion in economic activity transits and navigates through that area every year. The report followed China's potentially dangerous use of a laser against a Navy P-88 Marine Patrol aircraft near Guam last month and an earlier lasing two years ago of a C-130 aircraft near China's military base on the coast of Africa. The article was published Tuesday, the same day the Pacific Fleet announced on Twitter that the aircraft carrier strike group led by the USS Theodore Roosevelt and the USS America an amphibious assault carrier and leader of an expeditionary strike group were conducting exercises in the South China Sea. The training exercise for both strike groups included fighting, uh, fight maneuvers, air defense tests, and surface support missile exercises, the fleet said in a report on the exercise. At one point, Marines carried out a simulated visit, board search, and seizure exercise on the guided missile cruiser USS Bunker Hill, according to the report. The large-scale maneuvers are a direct challenge to China's claims to control 90% of the South China Sea, despite an international court ruling several years ago rejecting those claims. The Global Times report said the carrier operations marked the third time in the past week the U.S. warships have trespassed into the sea, quote-unquote. So China's gotten increasingly aggressive. They're aggressive in our hemisphere. They're aggressive throughout Southeast Asia. They're aggressive in Africa. Uh, sadly, it looks like the Philippines, under a nut job who runs that country, 
is leaving our orbit as an ally and moving into the Chinese orbit. The Chinese uh, buy a lot of uh, support with the money they put in these countries, and yet they wind up owning these countries hook, line, and sinker. We're going to discuss these sorts of things, as I say, with uh, Ted Yoho at the bottom of the hour, who really is on top of this. It's very important. And we need to disengage because China is the source of every major, major, not every, but every major virus in the last several decades that has affected our country. SARS virus, this virus, well, there are others, like the MERS virus and so forth, but many major viruses, let me put it that way, that have affected our country. Like this current virus, it's a disgrace. Three out of ten Americans say China should pay a price for this. And I think they should. Meanwhile, our media say, yeah, what do you call the China virus? The uh, Wuhan virus? And, wow, you must be a racist. It's a very good piece. But I've been talking about this a long time. By John Daniel Davidson at The Federalist. The media are embarrassing themselves over Trump's use of the Chinese virus. He said, and what can be described as a moment of unconscious self-parody, the media pretended not to understand why Trump would refer to a virus in geographic terms, as if they never heard of the Spanish flu, the West Nile virus, Ebola, Zika, Lyme disease, or the many other diseases named for their places of origin, as if they haven't been doing the same thing for months, because the mainstream media's ranks are populated by biased hacks who don't care half as much about reporting accurately on the Wuhan coronavirus as they care about making Trump seem like a racist. Why do you keep calling it the Chinese virus? It's a seemingly indignant and bewildered Cecilia Vega of ABC News during Trump's press briefing yesterday. And she looked angry at the president. Totally disrespectful. Citing, quote, dozens of incidents of bias against Chinese Americans in this country, unquote. Isn't this racist? Trump's answer was straightforward and bone-crushingly obvious. He said, because it comes from China. It's not racist at all. It comes from China. That's why it comes from China. I want to be accurate. Trump has a point about accuracy. Indeed, Chinese is not a race, but a nationality, like American. And of course, in the phrase Chinese virus, the word Chinese is an adjective modifying the noun virus. But set all that aside, watching the exchange... You would have to wonder, is there no one in the White House press corps who's willing to pull Vega aside and implore her to not do this sort of thing on national TV? Is there no one who will politely tell her she's making a fool of herself and in the process making the entire press corps look ridiculous? Apparently not. If anything, Vega's penchant for performative outrage and concern trolling is shared by many of her colleagues. Later in the same briefing, a reporter asked the president about some unnamed White House official reportedly using the term Kung Flu. Now, I I don't mean to cause problems, Mr. Producer. I wouldn't use that phrase. Never would occur to me. But you remember the show? Kung Fu, the show? You're too young to remember. It was a show. It was actually a very respectable show. Kung Fu. So I don't know if anybody said this. I don't even know if there is such a person. They were asked by the president and then later uh, 
Kellyanne Conway, well, who said it? Who's, well, you know we can't tell you that. Well, of course you can. But why is Kung Flu racist? I don't even understand what that's all about. It's a joke. Kung Fu was a TV show. Again, it wasn't a mockery. It wasn't provocative. Anyway, the fun was just beginning. After the briefing, reporters and pundits scurried back to their studios and newsrooms to compose serious monologues and straight-shooting explainers about the dangers of scapegoating and racism in times of crisis. Vox, as expected, turned out an article about how, quote, Trump's new fixation on using a racist name for the, cor- cor- the coronavirus is dangerous. Over at The Atlantic, which has been dutifully regurgitating Chinese Communist Party propaganda for weeks now, James Fallows tut-tutted over the phrase, while Grammy Wood, see me uh, seeing an opportunity to sneer at Trump voters, declared Trump's use of Chinese virus meant that Trump was retreating like a child to his blanket to the kind of degenerate culture war squabble which he feels most secure and his supporters most aggravated. NBC News chief foreign correspondent, the detestable Richard Engel, outdid them all, earnestly reminding his viewers that scapegoating was a real problem, quote, in the Middle Ages, unquote, and that Trump, you see, is scapegoating Chinese people by calling this the Chinese virus, quote, this is a bat virus, not a China virus, he said. It doesn't speak Chinese. It doesn't target Chinese people. God, are these people morons. Now, listening to these people, you realize they're far more riled up about Trump saying the words Chinese virus than they are about the Chinese Communist Party covering up the disease for months, allowing millions of people from virus-affected areas to travel overseas, silencing doctors who tried to get the word out, spreading lies about how the virus originated in the United States, and expelling the American press from the country this week. Those are all things the national press could be legitimately upset and outraged about. You might think they would be interested in reporting and commenting on such things. Instead, we're treated to asinine lectures about xenophobia that the blue check media don't even believe themselves. And then it goes on. Grave disservice to this country. The morons that populate the newsrooms in this country. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. All right, here's the Republicans in the Senate via right scoop. 
Here's what they have. Direct cash plan, $1,200 check per person. So it's going up from 1000 Phases out starting at $75,000 income for an individual. Lowered $5 for an extra $100 for each extra $100. Add $500 per child. No money for incomes of individuals at $99,000 or more based on the 2018 tax return. It is a $1 trillion package. You know, even if I were sitting around trying to figure out a way to spend a trillion dollars in the most propitious way to really jumpstart the economy, this would not be it. So this is really intended as an effort to just calm people who are panicking or who are upset. And it is one damn expensive effort. Also loans to certain small businesses that can be turned into grants if they can demonstrate that they use the money to maintain their payroll. I told you, it's going to get very complicated now. Um, They're going to be pushing an agenda. Let's say I own a restaurant. And I need the money to run the business, to pay the bills. And not, bills are not just for personnel. I've got to pay the food bills, the booze bills. I've got to pay uh, my taxes. I've got to pay utilities. I've got a lot of expenses. It's not just personnel related. So what if I can't show that most of the money or a certain percentage of the money or whatever the requirement is went to payroll, but instead went to stay in business? Isn't that the point? Well, that's not good enough, apparently. I'm telling you, these damn things, it's always the same thing. You'll see. We'll pull out of this, but I'll have nothing to do. Another trillion dollars down the toilet. That's Mark's opinion. That's just my opinion. Edward, in Wisconsin, quickly on the Mark Levin app. Go. Come on, Edward. Go, or you're going to run out of time. All right, Edward's done. Kathleen, Long Island, New York, WABC. Go ahead, quickly, please. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, hi. I didn't even hear it. Um, Mark, Mr. Call Screener, they're not hearing me. you gotta, you got to pull it up there. Go ahead. Can you hear me, Mark? Ma'am, we have 30 seconds left. I'm asking you over and over again to please speak. She's gone. Okay, that was two great calls. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Congressman Ted Yoho, how are you, sir? 
I'm doing great, Mark. I uh, appreciate you having me on. It's my pleasure. Um, you've become quite the expert on the communist regime in China. I want to start with this uh, Wuhan virus. To your knowledge, how did this start and what did the Chinese do about it? Great question. Um, you know, as you know, I sit on the Foreign Affairs Committee. I chaired the Asia-Pacific Subcommittee and uh, ranking member this year. Um, the, the word we had, it started off at the fresh market or a fish market. And um, what's interesting is when we had our hearing, we had two epidemiologists. We asked them the question. The epicenter was reported to be at this fish market. Do, do you feel it was uh, the forensic was done enough to study the origination of this? And they both said no. And then China came in and bulldozed this place down. Hmm. And it just doesn't make sense from an epidemiological standpoint. And, um, you know, China then allowed 5 million people to leave that area as they were trying to suppress the information with the doctor that uh, was the one that discovered this. And, of course, as you know, he wound up dying from um, the coronavirus. So um, what we know is China's been very secretive about it, and now they, the hypocrisies are turning around. They want to blame the U.S. Army for this, and Iran's jumped on that bandwagon. And it's just lunacy. And so they have this massive propaganda effort going on, Congressman, and it seems like many in our media are uh, not just taking the bait but doing it with uh, almost excitement at these presidential press conferences. They really are, and that's, you know, the hatred for President Trump is just, I've never seen this before, um, you know, and they, they do. They just push it. They try to discredit it. Um, you know, any any sense of just calmness and rationale, they just they push that so that's not true. You know, we were involved in this. Um, truth be known, you know, I, I'm sure this is already out there, and I'm sure you've talked about it, is uh, in Wuhan, uh, it's a province of Hubei, or it's a town in the Hubei province, um, four miles, within four miles of that fresh market is their most advanced biological weapon mm-hmm. factory. And I'm not, I'm not implying, but I'm, um, I'm raising the question, if the epicenter was there at the fresh market and they didn't do the correct uh, forensic on the epidemiological studies, why would you bull down, bulldoze down that area if you weren't trying to conceal something. And I think that's something that needs to be researched and, and looked at. And let's hope that, you know, this was just a spontaneous uh, virus that came out. And there you know, that this is your point, though, is we're not even allowed to discuss this. Right. And, and it's far more credible than the Russia collusion hoax. Oh, yeah. And, and we're not even allowed to discuss this. And my understanding from... Uh, Michael Pillsbury is if anyone even raises it, they're not allowed to have access to the whole country of China. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at what the uh, NSC went through, and they called it the Wuhan coronavirus. And so they've shut down Wall Street Journal, New York Times, uh, Washington Post, and then has threatened the Voice of America and Times Magazine. Uh, because what China cannot under, or cannot tolerate is any discontent or anybody challenging the the supremeness of the Communist Party and Xi Jinping, and that's not the real world. And uh, unfortunately, they've grown up in a very closed society that they could think they think they can control everything, but they can. Congressman Ted Yoho, let me ask you this. Yes, sir. Are pharmaceutical companies? <clears throat> I'm hearing an echo, Mr. Producer. By the way, our pharmaceutical companies rely very heavily on uh, products or elements or material 
from China, and now China's threatening us. Uh, how do we reverse that? You know, this goes back to our manufacturers. 85 to 90 percent of what we call the APIs, which are the active pharmaceutical ingredients, come directly from China. China has been found out to be changing reagents or solvents that create the very basic ingredients of, say, an ibuprofen, which is non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. They change that basic ingredient, so the purity of the drug is different than what the manufacturer um, has um, contracted with the Chinese chemical company. This is very well illustrated in a, a book called Rx China, and I forget the author's name, but it's it's a fantastic book because it shows the deceptive practices and how they avoid FDA, our FDA inspection in China. And what we have to do as consumers and as government is put pressure on our manufacturers. And we wrote a policy paper that we've distributed and we've had it published, and it, it talks about manufacturing the ABC method, and that's to manufacture anywhere but China. You know, when you read Pillsbury's book, which is an awesome book, The 100-Year Marathon, um, China's goal is to be the world-dominant superpower. And uh, every time you buy a product made in China, whether it's hidden in a pharmaceutical product or it's a wrench on the shelf and it's made in China, we are feeding that engine that their whole uh, their whole purpose is to be the world dominant power, not just economically, but militarily also. Do you think this event will uh, change at least some of that in the sense that uh, certainly more and more people in the United States, but more and more people throughout the planet, including leaders of these various governments, are going to see uh, China for what it actually is? You know, Mark, I think I think what we're seeing is an awakening we're starting to see manufacturers that are leaving. And uh, we've seen the big ones. We've seen Apple saying they're going to start moving production out. But we've also seen the, the people that are creating the ball bearings or just the, the widget. They're saying, you know what, the, the premium to be in China used to be the cheap labor. But now that premium is only about a 5% savings. And then if, if you study what China has done, when you have a company over there, 51% of it, the majority of the time outside of our financial institution and insurance products, uh, a controlling interest of that company was turned over to the Chinese government. So they had the controlling um, share of that. The other thing is uh, the Chinese Communist Party insisted that there was always somebody from the Communist Party on the board of that company. And it's why a company wants to go over there and forfeit that, because that's their intellectual property and all that other stuff. And that was something else they brought up. These manufacturers told me that within five years, their product has been duplicated, and they're competing against their own product. And it looks just like it. Uh, Range Rover is a good example. Uh, China's got a product that looks just like the Range Rover, but it's got a Chinese emblem and name on it. And so the people are waking up to answer your question. I, I don't understand this. If these are wise capitalists, why would you commit suicide like this? They've been so enamored by the 1.3 billion person market in China, they said they can't afford to be there. My, our talk to them is, yes, it is a huge market, but turn 180 degrees away, there's over 6 billion people out here 
that aren't stealing your product as you're manufacturing in there. They're not putting a Communist Party member in your board. And so market to this other 6.3 million pe- or billion people. Let China deal with themselves. We don't want a head-on collision with them or a kinetic uh, conflict with them. But if we have enough corporations and enough other nations saying we are going to change economic practices until you start becoming a responsible player in the world norm, and then we can do business. But until then, I look for everybody to move, um, as many as we can. And we're seeing them go to India, Vietnam, Thailand, um, um, Central America. And this is something we as Americans, if we do not deal with this now, can we will it be harder to deal with three to five years from now if we don't change? Representative Ted Yova, let me ask you this. You know, all this money being thrown around, I mean, I I have to say I'm very concerned about this. I don't see the connection between $1,200 for this guy, $500 for that guy, complicated loans for these businesses and so forth. I mean, isn't it possible? And this is an example with China. Straightforward, simple uh, promotion, that is uh, credits or cuts or forbearance or whatever it is to encourage these companies to invest here and not in China. And, and I, mean, I mean, it may cost us in the sense that we're not getting monies from these companies, but I prefer that than throwing money at these companies. In other words, let's create a business environment where it's easier for them to work here and build here than there. Well, you know, you're right on point on that, and that was a big portion of the American uh, um, tax uh, Jobs Act and tax cut. That was to lower the corporate rate because a lot of our companies initially went over there for the corporate tax structure, then they went over there for the cheap um, labor, and then that $1.3 billion person market. We've changed the tax structure, and that has invited companies back. But I think at this point in time, uh, you know, case in point, we had a manufacturer in last week that um, had a business in China making surgical masks. The Chinese government says we are not exporting these. They are staying to our domestic market. Uh, we need to incentivize those companies to come back you know, away, you know, um, with this uh, pandemic that's going on, you know, to invite them and entice them back here that much more rapidly. And once we make that, that change, you're going to see the supply chain leave China and become more diversified with trusted allies. Um, I'm sure you're aware that China controls virtually 100% of the rare earth metals that go into our electronics, that go into our satellites, our communications equipment, our military equipment, missile guidance systems. China controls 90% of it comes directly from China. The other 10% come from countries that get it from China. Uh, we've got initiatives, and President Trump put in a strategic metals initiative, which is which is awesome because we've not had that. And then we've got legislation we're trying to um, reclaim this and allow for American manufacturers and mining operations to stockpile this or at least have it identified where we can go after it immediately if we need to or from a trusted ally outside of China. These rare, to cut us off. I, I mean, these rare materials, is it because they're, they're in the ground in China or is it because China controls them around the world? Uh, they're around the world, Africa, South America. They're, I mean, they're scattered out. They're in our country. But with our EPA regulations and mining regulations, we've crippled our industry. Jeez. And then they're cheaper 
getting them from China. So China goes in through their Belt Road Initiative, lends cheap money. It's a uh, predatory lending practice. And when the country can't pay them back, they'll take over a share of that mine or a controlling share of that. And then they've also gone, and if, um, like, um, a, a rare earth metal, um, what China will do is they'll flood the market, drop the price, other companies go out of business because they can't compete, and then China takes over. And they've done this in South America, they've done it in Central America, they've done it in uh, Africa, um, and they've tried to do this everywhere. And this is part of that Belt Road Initiative that leaves the country straddled, and then they're indebted to China, and China you know, picks up the spoils of that. And the president and Congress, but the president is countering these things everywhere he can. Isn't that correct? I tell you what, I am so proud of what he's doing, the way he's gone after this. You don't get to this point by design. This is through negligence, ignorance, or just dereliction of duty over the last 30 or 40 years. President Trump has the policy on China correctly. Uh, He's going after the strategic minerals. We're looking at reclaiming them through using technologies where you go from uh, waste to energy to the reclamation of uh, what we call e-waste, like when you throw a computer or a TV away. There's a lot of rare earth metals in there over the course of a year. We can reclaim that so we don't have to dig new. The other thing is to open up our minds and to free up some of the regulations so that we can start creating those minerals here and that we're not indebted to another nation. China um, withheld the rare earth metals from Japan several years ago over fishing rights in some of the islands that are disputed. And uh, Japan wound up capitulating and saying, you know what, we need the metals, you can fish wherever you want. And they have threatened to withhold rare earth metals from us. And this is just, it's unacceptable. And these policies that the president has are, are spot on. Well, Congressman Ted Yu, you're terrific. I really appreciate your focus on this and you explaining this to uh, millions of people who are listening. And God bless you, sir, and thank you. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. You have a wonderful night. Thank you. You too. Excellent. Excellent. We'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. My understanding that that gentleman you just heard, the congressman, Yoho, was a veterinarian. And when he ran for office in 2012, he 
committed to serving uh, four terms, eight years total, and that's it. And this is his fourth term, and his eight-year ends at the end of this term, and he's retiring. He's actually doing what he said. He's a real stand-up guy. I don't know a lot about him, but, I mean, we're going to lose a lot of knowledge when it comes to China, that's for sure. He was terrific. Ted Yoho. Jerry, Passaic, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Yes, Mark, what we should do, number one, get all their students out of the country. That's the first thing. Throw all the reporters out. Don't allow them to buy any property or anything anymore. Bring back our manufacturing. Close down their banks and last. All right, you got a long list. Put it up on my Facebook, sir, if you will, because we have to go. Heartbreak. We got to end the show. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all you folks out there, all you heroes helping us deal with this virus and taking good care of us. Thank you. I'll see you right here tomorrow. Be safe and God bless you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.